hear the word of God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus prayed, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And St. Paul's writing in Colossians, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity is in bodily form. And then from Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these texts. Your very being, your amazing love for us. We give you glory today. We give you praise today. We give you honor. You're awesome. You're at work in all kinds of ways, in and through and in spite of us. We love you. We praise you. We give you glory. Come now. May these words of mine, may may they not be my words. May they be your words. Take them up. Sweep them up into your awesome reality that your very essence would be conveyed and, and sweep us off our feet as only you can. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, this week we had a home going for Diana Orne, dear woman in the church, and I, who I met actually the day before she passed. We had a wonderful conversation. and What a dynamic woman of faith. And we had a, a beautiful home going memorial service for her this past week. And I heard some beautiful tributes, some of the most beautiful tributes I've ever heard. And the essence of it was how she loved people. And she would have these parties and invite people to parties and make comfort food, uh, mashed potatoes, meatballs. She'd hire bands, um, rock bands. She loved music. She would invite people who didn't have a place to go for Thanksgiving to come to her place. As somebody put it, she was a gatherer. Diana was a gatherer. And I got the sense of Diana just hugging, hugging the world. Well, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why Diana was like that. Because her God is like that. The very identity of God. And I'm not just, I'm not just talking about the way God acts. There's a reason why God acts like God does. It's because that's who God is in God's very being. We, this series we're in is a a seven part series. It's on our ecosystem. And the idea is to look at what core beliefs do we have that keep us, keep us uh, nutritious theologically. And I called these key doctrines from um, our denominations website, just picked out certain key ones. And today we're looking at really the heart of God as Trinity and incarnation. And that really is what's expressed in Diana's life. You know, we looked last week at what's the source of 
what we believe. And we said the Bible that comes out of a rediscovery of the Bible that came out of the Reformation when they were bringing light after the Dark Ages and the Renaissance in the 1400s. They went back to all these books. And among those books was the Bible. Dove in. Included there was a rediscovery of the nature of the gospel. And that was what we talked about last week. The source of what we believe is Holy Scripture. Now we're going to look at, based on the source, according to the source, what is God like? And what we get are two key beliefs from this source. Trinity and incarnation. God is Trinity and God is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Trinitarian language about God is not just in the New Testament. We'll get to that. But theologian Donald Blesch points out that the roots of the doctrine of the Trinity can be traced back to plural titles of God in the Old Testament. So again, we're going to the source itself. Even the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Elohim is a plural name used for God. It's the most frequent name of God in the Old Testament, and it's plural. Adonai, meaning Lord, also comes in what scholars call the plural of majesty, indicating a diversity within a oneness. There's evidence here, even the Old Testament, from the, from the beginning, God was a composite unity rather than a solitary unity. And then we get more of this in the New Testament as it opens out. And we hear our Lord and Savior Jesus say, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So they're distinct, yet they're together. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. They're unified in mission, even though they're separate persons. All that belongs to the Father is mine. There's unity. That is why I said to the Spirit, you'll receive from me. So there's distinction, because Jesus is giving some of the Spirit. What he will make known to you. Well, you get the idea that there is this relationality between the Father and the Son and sometimes who's called the shy member of the, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Mark Jones writes, at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended upon him and the Spirit plays a significant role in leading Christ to and sustaining him during and after his temptation. In that same chapter, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me Remember that? He says that as he begins in Luke 4. And he announces that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Christ performed miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit too. We get that in Matthew 12 and Acts, and we hear about it in Acts 10. And then we get Jesus' baptism, remember? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and a voice. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus then sends at the end, fast forward to the end of the gospel, we read the gospel of Matthew. He instructs them to baptize people as he sends them out. Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, how does this work? (laughs) We have this unity of unity, you have this unity of intimacy and mission. As well as, as well as a differentiation of persons in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing we have to do is lay down our assumptions. You know, the question, how can this be, versus the question, what do we have here? The question, how can this be, 
often involves the assumptions we bring to that question. So how can this be in light of my understanding of how things normally work, in light of my assumptions that I load into the questions, I load into my question, how can this be in light of, you know, the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics, the law of, you know, all these laws we load in. How can this be? How to, versus saying, what do we have here? What do we have here on its own terms? Let me take a look at it. Just open myself up to it. And that's the second question that's really, as my favorite theologian Thomas Torrance points out, that's really the more scientific question. The how can this be is more about what we bring to whatever we're trying to understand. And then often what we're trying to understand is limited by our assumptions. That's how can this be. The what do we have here is... Well, show show me yourself. If I'm talking to God, all right, God, you make yourself known. Show me your who you are. I'm going to lay down my assumptions. Just show me who you are. Well, art can help us with this. The art in Roman in uh, in 1414, there was an artist named Andre Rublev who gave us an icon that expresses that 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 we can kind of go okay in light of how Scripture gives us data about the Trinity. In and of itself, like just how it expresses itself, not based on our assumptions about how reality works, but how it expresses itself. He gave us this beautiful picture. It's called the Trinity, and you can look it up on uh, Wikipedia. Rublev's icon, the Trinity, is considered the most famous of all Russian icons. And it's regarded as one of the highest achievements of Russian art. It depicts the three angels who visited Abraham at the Oak of Mamre, Genesis 18. But the painting is full of symbolism and is widely interpreted as an icon of the Trinity. Theologian and children's minister, Dr. Julie Canlis, interprets Rublev's work in this way. Notice in the picture here, so now we're interpreting the Trinity in light of the data of Scripture, okay, artistically. And again, this is not, we're not worshiping this, you know, we're looking through it to understand God. Just like we don't worship the pulpit, we don't worship the table, we don't worship any symbols here of God. We try to understand God in light of it, right? So notice, as Dr. Canlis says, each figure has blue. That's a symbol of, of divinity. The Holy Spirit's robe is green. New life. Symbolizing new life. Christ has a brown robe. That's earth and humanity. And he has two fingers symbolizing his divine and human nature. I've talked about this before. Sometimes you'll see me make the sign of the cross. I think that's a cool way to sort of get in touch physically. And the Catholics don't have a patent on that. So we can, we can use that. Why do they get all the cool, they don't get all the cool stuff, you know? So we can, we can do that too. And the way I do it, Two is more like the Orthodox do it, where you have the three fingers are the Trinity, and then you have the two fingers here for Christ as totally human, totally divine. So it's like a catechism in your hand. It's pretty cool. Anyway, so here he has a brown robe on for earth and humanity in the center there. Two fingers symbolizing divine and human nature, and the fingers are pointing to the cup of his sacrifice in the center. This is Julie's beautiful explanation of this. I love it. Christ's gaze brings us to the Father. The blue garment of the Father is hidden by a shimmering robe. He is at rest within himself. And the movement of the other two bring you to the Father. Notice how their heads are bowed. And the thought here is that the Father and the Son are, dis- are discussing the Son's sacrifice. And the Son is agreeing and the Spirit is bowing. 
There is a deep intimacy here, as Dr. Candlis describes it. This, this expresses what is expressed in our biblical data, right? It's a near perfect circle. The three are an intimate conversation. And there's also a sense of movement going out. Julie notes, the circle is not closed. There is space for us at the front of the table. There is a sense of the viewer being drawn in, invited through the cup to be part of the moving of intimacy toward ecstasy. Ecstasy here, ek in Greek is out. So it's an internal sharing and then ek outwardly going, right? It's an abandoning of self to go out and meet the other. It's the word ecstatic comes from. Dr. Julie Candless points out as Trinity, God is inherently relational. And now we're getting to the core of what Diana Orne was about and what we are about here. In other words, from what the data of Scripture revealed, the three persons of the Trinity are not supported by some substance or goo that holds them together, but rather the three persons of the Trinity were supported by their relationships. Seeing the Trinity this way puts the incarnation in a whole new light, right? We remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Well, of course, it's an outgoing movement. God's very Trinitarian relational identity is going to push out from the circle to us. The triune God of grace is a God of intimacy and outgoing love. We see that in God's Trinitarian life expressed here in scripture and and, and drawn out here and expressed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the flesh, sent out in human experience to save us in every way. In light of this Trinitarian picture of God, the incarnation makes total sense. Of course, the word of God, the word, the word of God, the word was God and the word, the logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God would have it no other way. The God who, who leaves a seat for us at the table, the missional God, who is held together in relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, isn't going to stop in some stagnant relationship. This God is going to pursue his creatures in relation to us through the incarnation by becoming one of us to save us in every way. This is who God is. This is the identity of our God. This is not just what God does for us. It's who God is. You may have seen last Sunday's amazing football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. How many of you saw it? I haven't watched much football this year, but I heard it was going to be a good game. And boy, was it. It was a quarterback duel for the ages, right? It was tied up to the end. And then the Chiefs got the ball and overtime. And because of those NFL rules, which uh, I think there's been a lot of discussion about that now, um, they won. Why not just give them 10 more minutes? No. Anyway, so you all know in the aftermath of that, that there's been a lot of discussion about NFL rules and all the questions being asked. What you may not know is what I read in an article this week about what the winning quarterback, Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs, you may not know what he did immediately when the game ended. Justin Bariso, writing for Inc. Online, described it this way. The thrill of victory, 
That's what Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes experienced on Sunday evening as he pulled off an amazing comeback against the Buffalo Bills in what many are calling one of the greatest football games of all time. And on the other side, there was the sting of defeat. As Mahomes was celebrating his winning touchdown throw, Bills quarterback Josh Allen, who had an almost equally amazing game, sat devastated on the bench. Due to a controversial NFL overtime rule, Allen would have no chance to try and even the score. But as Allen slowly got up to walk off the field, something interesting happened. Mahomes began darting downfield, furiously looking for a teammate, the coach, his family. Nope. He was looking for Josh Allen. He wasn't looking to talk trash or to rub in the victory. No, when Mahomes found Allen, he embraced him and shared words of encouragement. Here's the video. Watch number 15 here, darting down the field. Right? He's wrapped, that's Mahomes. He drops his helmet. Where's he going? Where's he going? There it is. Want to freeze it for me? There you go. It's a beautiful moment, isn't it? I like that better than the game. <laughs> that was incredible. Bariso turns this into a teachable moment about empathy, which he says is not as easy as you think. It appears that what Mahomes did came automatically to him, almost instinctive. If you followed the career of the young Chiefs quarterback, you may not be surprised. After all, it wasn't so long ago that Mahomes was in the same position as Allen. His season cut short by an overtime touchdown courtesy of Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. But showing empathy like this isn't as easy as you think. There's what we call a perspective gap, also known as the empathy gap. It's a common occurrence in which one dramatically underestimates the effects of a psychologically or physically intense situation. Often when we see someone experience some challenging circumstance we've faced in the past, we overestimate how well we handled it. We become callous, forgetting how intense our feelings of grief and pain were. And our default is, oh, it wasn't so bad, they'll get over it. Empathy gap, perspective gap. This is why physicians consistently underestimate their patients' level of pain. Why we find it so challenging, why it's so challenging sometimes to show empathy to a colleague or even a family member. Well, Mahomes showed an ability to bridge the perspective gap. He could relate to Alan's feelings. He could feel his pain. But you might wonder, how did he get there? Well, rewind back to 2019 when Tom Brady and the Patriots defeated Mahomes and the Chiefs in a very similar fashion. After the game, Brady made a special effort to speak to Mahomes to share an encouraging word. Mahomes later said, Brady said he loved the way I played. It was awesome for him to do that and show that class in an exciting moment. This is where empathy begets empathy. Empathy. When a person feels understood, they're more likely to try to reciprocate that effort. Or as Mahomes did, pay the empathy forward. So this is Bariso's argument in ink. Well, this is the grace of God in the incarnation. If God is inherently relational, I would press his insights, which are good here, theologically. I mean, drop, you know, if you're sitting across, if you're sitting across from a, a friend of yours who isn't a Christian and you're having a cup of coffee, 
dropped out, drop out the idea of, you know, our Trinitarian God is inherently constituted in relationships. <laughs> or do something like that, right? And be, be, and what do we mean by that? And then you can talk about the relationship between Jesus and the Father. You don't have to explain it all. Again, just bring it to him. Don't have to defend it. Just bring it to him. Because even if they're not a Christian, two things they, they have to admit. One, three things. One, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful idea on its face. It's beautiful. That icon is beautiful. Who would dispute that? Two, it's inspiring. Three, it has some explanatory power to it. If God is inherently relational, and God is so relational in himself that it cannot be contained, and it leaps out of the Trinity to save the world, that's what explains what Patrick Mahomes did, who, by the way, is a Christian. That explains it. That's the heart of the gospel. We move in the sprint of the Trinitarian God who moves in grace through his son, Jesus Christ, to save us in every way. We don't have some generic, distant, deistic monad just up there in like a glob. You saw the artistic human, but I think fair artistic representation of what scripture teaches about this unity and differentiation. And a God who's inherently relational. This is the gospel sprint out of the very heart of God. It's so vital because this isn't something just that God does. This is who God is. This is everything. I am concerned that many well-meaning evangelicals talk about the gospel in a way that it sounds like something extrinsic to God or something exterior to God. Almost like God sends us a fire insurance policy that we keep in our drawer or like you get one of those you've ever buy something now they sell you those those plans to protect it you know or something for four years here's your four year plan with God you know boom it feels like a commodification of the gospel and it's kind of gross right at some level but you can understand it because we're we're a consumer culture and and we get a lot of good things from capitalism you know sure absolutely prophetically critiqued and all that but we got to be careful that that doesn't overtake our understanding of the gospel, because salvation isn't just something God gives. We don't just get a salvation ticket from God. We get God. We get God sprinting across the field like that, embracing us, sweeping us off our feet. We get the triune God welcoming us into his circle, saying, come here, come here, ah, oh, Take time to let that picture into your heart and you'll see it. You can see God running toward you in your loss. That's one of the most profound things I've ever seen. I think that's the most profound thing I've ever seen in sports right there. And and Patrick Mahomes is a Christ follower. So of course he wasn't going to sit there. Of course he's going to move toward his brother and embrace him. When this gets in our heart, you will see God coming toward you again and again. Because that's what the triune God of grace does. Not just offering a salvation pass, but offering himself in whom we have our salvation. And he will sweep you off your feet into himself and say, let's go. Come and join me and let's run. See that person? See that person? See that person? Go get him. Go get him. May it be so 
for you and me in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.